0: Tonight I'd like to talk about the third judge that's mentioned. His name is Shamgar. In Judges chapter 3, this is his story that we read about. Judges chapter 3, notice the very last verse, please. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. That's it, that's all, but it says a whole lot. In the story, what you have in just that account, you get a lot of different details about, about the guy named Shamgar that, to me, are very, very impressive. Now, I want to add that, just to make sure we're all on the same page, he's a judge. That is not like our judges today. What we mean by a judge in the Old Testament is people who were basically military leaders. That's what most all of them did. They led some type of rebellion. They did it themselves. Shamgar did it. Samson did it. Or they led troops. Ehud led troops. Gideon led troops. Deborah and Barak was talk about next week. They led troops. But they were some type of military leader. The word for judge or deliverer is the idea that they came in and started leading a rebellion to put off some of the bondage and some of the oppression that was being put upon the Israelites through the Canaanites. And so there are individuals who come. They are called. God even refers to them as deliverers. And it seems like afterwards they served as some type of magistrate. They served as some type of, uh, of community leader in the sense that they would help guide and direct Israel. Samuel seems to be the most thorough in that type of an aspect, that he was helping them, giving them spiritual direction, giving them guidance, and helping them to move towards that idea of having civil um, peace and quietness there in the middle of the land of Israel. But the one judge that we mentioned here, Shamgar, was also more than that. He's a folk hero. There is another mention of him, Go over a couple chapters. A couple chapters later, there's a song being sung in chapter five. And the song is being sung by Deborah, one of the judges who comes after her, after him, and it says in Judges five, verse one, then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of uh, Binonham, that day, and they said, and it gives the song. It gives the verses, it gives the chorus that they sang. Jump down in the middle of the verse or in the middle of the song, it says in verse 5 the mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Enath, in the days of Jael the highways were unoccupied, the travelers walked through the byways, and inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. Now we get a little bit more information. Now we learn that Shamgar was a contemporary of Deborah and and Barak. We also know that he was a folk hero that even in their generation though they lived at the same time, he had all of a sudden become to the point of notoriety. That they're singing songs about him. That he's included in their choruses and some of their folk songs as a heroic individual. And so she's talking about Ehud in the previous couple verses. Then she mentioned Chamgar. So his popularity, he rose quickly becoming this legend in his own time. That's all we know about him. That's all that's Written about him. And yet, if we dissect it a little bit further, we learn this. Shamgar was an individual who did not let, I'm going to call it this, what I used to be, my past. He didn't let his, I used to be this, his past, keep him from doing something for God. Because if we look in Judges chapter 3, verse 31, we get a little bit of a background of who he was, what he was before. Back in chapter 3, verse 31, it just gives us his name. But giving us the name and giving us his family background tells us something about him and his family. The name Shamgar, the son of Anath. Here's what we learn from that. Shamgar is not a Hebrew name. Shamgar is coming from a non-Jewish sources. It is basically Hittite or uh, others would call it Hurrian name. It's a name that indicates that whether he and his family ended up in Canaan, he's taken, he's called by a Canaanite name. So he's not taking a Jewish name, which is unusual for the Hebrews. Which brings us to another thought. His father is named after one of the most pagan gods. Gods, Anath or Anath, who was one of the one of the uh, harem of Baal worship, one of those who was the three three different goddesses who were cohorts with Baal that many people worship. So his background indicates something. The naming of him, the naming of his dad, gives us a little bit of information. It tells us that he was either not a Hebrew. His family was not from Hebrew origins. That he is a non Jewish convert to Judaism. That he's come to that. Or it tells us that if he were Jewish, if he was Hebrew, his family was very steeped in the Canaanite religion. That they called their, his father was called by that. He himself, by his parents, were called something that was not going to be descriptive of Jewish heritage. And so his background is one that wouldn't be one that we would say, okay, he came from, as some said tonight, some said I grew up in a Christian home. That's probably not Shamgar. Shamgar probably didn't grow up in the same home that some of you did. He would have grown up in some of those different types of home, something like Bob had shared with us, something like some of you have have grown up in, where you don't hear the Word of God, where you don't hear the Gospel, where there's different types of influences there. And so what we've got from, from Shamgar is this, his background seems to be a little bit questionable. He could have said, "You know i don 't know the faith. you know i don 't know the Word of God the same as others. i didn't grow up in that area. I grew up with some of this exposure to some more evil, some wicked things, but he doesn't use that as an excuse. In fact, what he does is he determines as a young man, whatever age he is, he 's going to serve Jehovah. Now, whether he became a Hebrew convert or he became right with God, we don 't know which one it is, as a Hebrew it had come from a excellent background. Either way, he comes to a spot where he's serving the Lord and it isn't something that his family has trained him for. It isn't something that his family would be promoting. So he could have said, hey, you know, this is what I used to be in the past. How can I be used of God? He doesn't do that at all. Instead, he says, I don't care what my background is. I'm concerned about today. How to serve God today. What can I do for God today with the power of God upon my life? So here's an individual who realizes that God can and will use people with rough, questionable backgrounds as long as those individuals determined to serve him. And that's where some of you are at. Some of you grew up in some very questionable things. Some of you grew up in some very challenging backgrounds. Some of you exposed yourself by choice to doing some practices that weren't honorable to the Lord. Can God use you today? God uses a lot of people that have questionable backgrounds when they dedicate their lives to him. You have Abraham. Abraham, whose pagan family had worshipped, but he turns and comes to a point of conversion and moves forward. Moses, with his background of learning about all of, you know, of Egypt and having a lot of that exposure. You have Rahab, who even to this day, when we say Rahab, what do we usually attach with her name? Rahab the harlot. She, her reputation has always stuck with her throughout generations. You have Ruth, who isn't even born into the Hebrew nation, but she becomes a convert. You have Shamgar, you have you and me. That God can use us despite some of our questionable background. Now, I praise God for this. I thank God that there's a good number of you who grew up in Christian homes. You have no clue what a blessing that is to be saved from sin. To get born again early. Not to be exposed. And it's a shame that some young people say, well, I'm missing out. You aren't missing out on anything. You have been spared. And God should bless you for it and use you for that. But those of us who weren't spared, those of us who made the foolish decisions, God can still use us. God can still, can lead in our lives. And you and I do not have the right to say, God, because of my past, because of this, what I used to be, how can you use me? God can use junk to bring glory to his name. And some of us are some of that classic illustration. Number two, Shamgar shows me this. Shamgar shows me that he did not let his, I'm surrounded by, his present, his pressures, his community didn 't keep him from doing something for God. he could have easily said that he could have easily said, "Man, look at the situation, look at the mess we 're in. He could have easily said, like modern day Christians often say, Look at where America has gone in the last fifty years man it 's just gone downhill. Who would have thought we would have had the discussions we 're having today about transgender and, and all these different uh, same sex marriages? Who would have thought that we would have had you know, a heroin epidemic in America as bad as it is. Who would have thought that all the the immorality and the, the, the vice and the greed and the corruption would be as, man, it's just so bad. Surely God can't work at this time. God can work even in messy situations. Light shines the best often in darkness. It really penetrates. And here Shamgar is living in an area that's in a time that is filled with darkness. Watch the story. Okay, back in chapter 5, let's go to the song. And notice what Deborah is saying in her song about the times they live in, down in verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied. What's that mean? When it talks about the highways being unoccupied in the days of, of Jael, we're talking that now at that time period, you have Jabin coming in with the Canaanites and oppressing the Jews in a very serious manner. You're going to have General Sisera. We're going to talk about him next week. You're going to have all of a sudden jailed who is going to serve by taking out Sisera in a a very um, horrible manner of death. You're going to have all kinds of oppression taking place to the point that the highways, literally the idea is the trade. The commerce has ceased people aren't traveling the highways are empty Why, what, what would that indicate to you if the highways were empty what does that give you a sense of everybody has prosperity just the opposite there is no prosperity. Why? Well, either there's no goods to be, to be merchandised, or there's no safety in merchandising. So at this time period, the Jews are impoverished. They aren't trading like they would be trading. The highways aren't busy like they would be. In fact, if the highways aren't busy, then that also means something about worship. If there's nobody traveling, what are they doing when it comes to the tabernacle? They're not going they're not going. So it's giving us an indication that religiously, economically, nationally, community-wise, these are tough days. These are days when there is insecurity. These are days when you don't want to walk down the street. These are days that when it gets dark, you say, I don't want to be out at night. Now, aren't you glad it's not like that where we live? Okay? that he's got, he's saying, okay, these are tough times. This is a really dark area. This is really terrible. In fact, he goes, she goes on and makes this comment. She says that the days the highways were unoccupied, the travelers walked, yeah, it says through the different routes. That is, they took, they took secret routes where they wouldn't be seen. And it goes on, the inhabitants of the villages ceased, or literally, if you look, what's italicized, the villages ceased. That a lot of the towns, they just disappeared. A lot of the villages were no longer there. Why? Because nobody was was able to live there. There wasn't the, there wasn't the foodstuffs. There wasn't the, the protection. And so a lot of the villages are being plundered. Even those who live there, the Canaanites come through and take away their goods. This is a terrible time. This is an awful time. These are not the good old days that people would sing about. This is a horrible time that they're living in. And then you have added to it, that's the Canaanites under Jabin. Then you are under under Sisera. Then you go back to chapter 3 and read that Sisera Fight is not with the Canaanites, it's with the Philistines. Which indicates that then on top of all this, the Philistines come in and they're marauding, they're raiding. This is an awful time. This is a terrible time. There isn't safety, there isn't peace, there is all kinds of upheaval. This is the type of days that you are afraid to have a family because you don't know what's going to happen to your kids. This is the type of time that you're fearful and you just you just cringe and you say, Oh man. What a horrible time. And for many, there's believers who would often say and would often throughout history, boy, it's just so bad. It's so evil. It's so terrible. You know, it, it, we, we should just run away. We should just give up. We should just hole up and just bring the gates around us and around our home and don't dare do anything for the Lord. But Shamgar isn't of that mindset. Shamgar is going to say, I want to do something for God. I want to make a difference. I want to be the salt upon the earth, the light upon the world. I want to reach out, do something, help my people people out. And so in this risky time, in this lack of security time, in this economically depressed time, in this dangerous time period, here's Shamgar standing up and saying, I can be used of God. I don't care about my past. I know it's a rugged past, but God could use me. He can use junk. God, he's saying, you know, I know it's a dangerous spot. I'd want, not want you to be foolish, but, you know, and I know that there's serious problems but God can work through me. God can do a work in this dark region. God can, God can use me. And so despite the social pressures, despite the oppression upon the people, despite all the upheaval, the opposition, the enemy, if you would, the, the enemy physically to the nation of Israel, the spiritual enemy that we face, he says, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to put my hand to the plow literally and I'm going to walk forward and do something for God. Are you that type of mindset? Are you an individual that says that I'm going to not let the pressures of society stop me? Listen, we've got pressures in our society that shouldn't stop you from sharing the gospel. It shouldn't stop you from living a light, a life that is a light with purity. It shouldn't stop you from ministering to the poor. It shouldn't stop you to showing the love of Christ. It shouldn't stop you from worshiping, from sharing your faith, from doing what's right, to helping out even those who are victimized by the cruelty and the criminals of this society. You should be an individual. That says that I'm not going to let the pressures, I'm not going to let the opposition, I'm not going to let the the main big problems overwhelm me. I'm going to seek to make a difference in my school. They aren't going to be promoting Bible classes, but I can try. They aren't going to at work say, yay, cheer, here's somebody who wants to have a life of integrity. But I can try to make a difference by living with righteousness. It's not popular to be focusing on the elderly. But you can share Christ with them. You can do something. You can minister to the troubled youth. And boy, sometimes that's scary because of the trouble that some could bring to your life. But, you know, here's a man, Shamgar, if he lived in our day, he would reach out. You can do something to feed the poor, to help them out. You say, but it's so overwhelming. Yeah, it can look that way, but you can make a dent. You can make a difference. You can do something to help some peoples out in sharing the word of Christ by sharing your foodstuffs come this Thanksgiving, even through bounty boxes, you can minister. You can minister in a jail. You can minister in a nursing home. You can minister to people in your neighborhood. You could venture into a Bible study. You could reach out to others. Even those who are sick and those who have diseases, you can minister to them if you have an attitude of shamgar where you say, I'm not going to let the pressures and the problems of surrounding to stop me from doing what Christ has called me to do. Christ has called me to be a light, to be the salt, and I want to impact others for his glory. I want them to see that they need to be born again. And one of the ways to do that is to be able to help them out with genuine needs, reach out and make a difference in their town and their community. When we were in Anchorage visiting uh, our, our missionaries up there, we visited a church that they started a ministry that I'm just admiring. There was about, about 70 people in this church and they're in a community that over the years, it has the, the area that they live in, it's basically in this area of the town, gotten worse and worse and worse. The uh, economy has bottomed out in that neighborhood. There's crime raising up. And so these church people thought, well, should we move out of this area, or if we believe God has planted us here, should we become a light to our community? So they started a ministry a year, or a year and a half ago, that what they do is on Sundays is they have their service, and then several families, every Sunday they rotate through the church. There's like uh, eight families, six, eight families that they make a meal. And then whoever comes to church that day, they serve a meal. And so they advertise that, that there's a lunch after the service, come to the service and there's a meal. And it can be soup, it can be sandwiches, it can be whatever these families pay for, they make, they bring, they have it. And they feed these people. And a lot of the people from the community come. Because a lot of them, this is the one meal that they're sure they're going to get that's a hot meal. And so they come, because it's a very impoverished area. And then once a month, what they do is the people in the church, they give foodstuffs. They put it in a pantry. They also know of, um, um, what do we call those, where foods are, uh, like, a, a, they go to a place where there's a lot of food given. Uh, a food bank. They go to a thank you. They go to a food bank, and then the food bank gives it to the church. Um, you know, a couple pick up loads of food, and they bring it back. And then once a month, on a Sunday after services, then they allow them to go into the food area and take out a bag of groceries, one or two bags, that they help out the people in their community. It has given them opportunity to share Christ. They have led a number of individuals who are in poverty and have nobody helping them. They've seen this display of Christian care and concern. There have been a number of derelicts. There have been a number of individuals who have been on the drugs, alcoholics, things like that, who have gotten born again. Their lives are changed. And they said, and Alan was telling me he really enjoys doing Bible study with them because they sit there and they are so hungry and they want to learn and they, they're affected. Their background has affected them mentally to some degree, physically to some degree. But here they are, this church has become creative to try to reach into where they're at because a few of the members got a burden to say, we could do something. We're not going to solve all the problems, but here in our community, how can we have a better outreach? What a challenge. I keep on thinking about that group, keep on thinking, what can we do? What should we do? What can you do? What can you as an individual look at where you're at, what can you do to venture out to say, I'm not going to let my surroundings of my neighborhood stop me from being an impact for Jesus Christ? Be a Shamgar, who doesn't let his past stop him, who doesn't let the pressures around him stop him. There's something else that strikes me. it's not just his past, it's not just the pressures, but I want you to see something else. He doesn't let his personal poverty, he doesn't let his lack of stop him from doing something for God. If you look at the story, and there's not a whole lot there, but we get a little bit of information, we know that he's a farmer. Because of the weapon he uses. He uses an ox code. We know that farming is not really going well at this time because of all the plundering, the villages ceasing. We understand that this is not a time period where the Hebrews are getting wealthy. They're being being taken, fleeced by the Canaanites and by the Philistines coming through. That's going to cause them to call upon the name of the Lord and cause them to come to a point where there's repentance. And then you have Shamgar, who does not have the best of weaponry. He picks an ox goat, it says, back in chapter 3, verse 31. His weapon of choice is probably not his weapon of choice, but it's basically, it's what he's got. It's all that is left. This ox goad that he uses is a tool that the farmers would use. And it's a tool that typically looks like this. Eight feet long, ten feet long. It had either a blade at the top end of it or that you could prod the animals with and then you could also take that blade and after you're plowing you could use it to shave off to to cut off the dirt that clung to it that got stuck to the plow or you could poke the oxen with the tip of it. And sometimes it wasn't that little blade. Sometimes it was just a sharp metal tip at the end of it that looked kind of like an arrow Okay, without with just a point to it. And so that's the weapon. This is a common weapon in the ancient Near East. This is just something that the normal farmers, the average tool that they would have. It isn't what you and I would pick to go against 600 people. Me, I would gladly go against 600 Philistines if I'm in a tank, full armor, and I've got weaponry of modern day. Then I'd feel comfortable. Shamgar doesn't have that. Shamgar doesn't even have the weapon. He doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have a shield. And it's even talked about in Psalms where it repeats another phrase about this time period that they were without sword and shield. Does, it, does she say it as well in chapter 5? Yeah, yeah, in chapter 5. There's the mention. It says in verse 8, They chose new gods, then was war in the gates. Was there a shield or spear among those in Israel? So weapons were gone. They didn't have the things. They were The the invaders made sure they couldn't stockpile weapons. So here comes Shamgar. I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to resist the Philistines. I'm going to protect the community. A community that's being taken advantage. A community where we don't have safety. A community where our villages are disappearing. I'm going to go and fight the fight. And he picks an ox goad. He picks just a common weapon. A stick with a blade at one end. And he goes into battle. And he battles 600 Philistines. Folk, those are not great odds, 600 to 1. They wouldn't be the odds that you and I would choose. He's basically weapon poor, okay, by choice of weapon with what he had. But he's also warrior poor. He doesn't have a lot of people joining his ranks. He doesn't. He's not one of a great crowd. And yet he says, I'm going to do something, and this is what I'm to be doing. At this time, my service for God is protecting my community, is, a, is opposing the enemy, and I'm going to go out and fight the fight. Now, you and I have a different fight to fight. Okay? We're not going out, and we're not to be killing unbelievers. That's not the idea. We're not supposed to be wiping out those who disagree. That's not where we're at. But we still have an enemy, do we not? Don't we have an enemy who wants to plunder our spirits, our souls, our hopes? We have an enemy who wants to make us feel like there's no hope. It's, a, it's just too dire. There's no way. You, you can't make a difference in your class. You can't make a difference at your school. The, the enemy will try to convince you you can't. Make an impact for Christ at work. It's just impossible. There's too many hard hearts. It just won't work. And you need to respond by saying, listen, with God, I am in the majority. With God, we can still do a work. We can go out and be used of God in a great way if we're willing to be used. If we don't give excuses. You see, God is a God who can take junk and make great music with it. To make us to be his workmanship. Literally, his poema his masterpiece. What God can do. You know, the world is amazed by what some people can do with tin and scraps and forks and discarded wires. And they can make a real impression upon society. What can God do with you? The master orchestrator. What can the great creator do with you this week at work, at school? What can God do in your family's relationships with those around about you? By you saying, I'm going to be yielded to him. I'm going to serve him. I'm just going to do my very best. God used a lot of people that looked like they were on a junk heap. God used a lot of people that it looked like others would just say they can't be used anymore. He used the Jonas. He used the Jeremiah's. He used the Peters. He used the Zacchaeus. He used individuals who were filled with doubt like Thomas. He used the Timothy who was, who was scared, who is apprehensive. He used a David. He used an Abraham. He used individuals throughout history. Individuals who had some tainted past at times, some lack of ability, but they had a willingness and a desire to be used of God. What could God do through you in reaching this community? If you got on board and said, I'll help with the reenactment, I'll invite some people. What could God do through you? I think the sky's the limit. If you say, I want to serve, if you say, I'm going to be used, I may not have the same talents as somebody else, but I'm going to use what I have. I'm going to contribute. I'm going to get involved and watch how God can work, how God can use you and me. If we are just willing to be used and dedicated to him, the bottom line is this God can and make. God can make and do something amazing out of your life with your life if you just let Him. You have to be willing to be a shamgar, to say, God, use me where I'm at. I'm not giving excuses. I'm giving effort. Father, I pray that you would help us to be that type of an individual that would give you the best of our effort, who would not give you excuses, but rather that we would give you our days, our times, our talents, that we would use what you have given us for gifts and opportunities to make a difference and let that be seen in this community through these folk. Help them to be individuals who would evaluate where they can take a step of faith and make an effort to serve you better. Matter. help them with their gospel witness help them with their righteous action at work help them with their influence of trying to build up others encourage others help them with the with their efforts to help the poor the hungry the maimed help us to be a difference by making sure we give you our best efforts we pray in christ's name amen thanks for-